It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Coming up on the programme this morning, we are going to speak with the Garda Representative Association out of West Cork, because this is to do with some events that happened during the Kinsale's Sevens, the rugby tournament that was on last weekend in Kinsale. There was something like 60 arrests for drugs. There was 11,000 euro worth of drugs seized at the Kinsale Sevens last weekend and as was the most worrying one of all from a Garda point of view there was three members of Angarda Siakona assaulted. So we're going to talk about that and hear from the Garda Representative Association because obviously this is the start of festival season and there will be a lot more festivals particularly in West Cork. West Cork has so many wonderful, wonderful uh, festivals and the majority of people who attend the festivals many of them are aimed and pitched at families and the majority of us that go to those festivals of us were law abiding we go along and we enjoy it but you're always going to get the few who are going to ruin it for everybody else so the Gardaí are saying look wake up call here there's a lot of people going to be attending these festivals we need to have more manpower on the ground we know that any time we talk about say for example rural crime any time we talk about the closure of Garda stations it's one of the comments we constantly get in from people saying that we need more Gardaí on the beat we need the visibility of Gardaí to act as a deterrent against in this case we're talking about antisocial uh, behaviour. So the Gardaí themselves are saying it. if you've got and, and you know that these festivals are coming up so you know that you're going to have a lot of people attending them. So it's not like that suddenly a number you know tens of thousands of people turned up for no reason and the Gardaí couldn't have known that you were going to have like last weekend I think it was 20,000 people were in Kinsale. So you know the, the Gardaí on the ground are saying you know in advance that in the month of June, July, August, September, you know what weekend's festivals are going to be on. Get extra manpower out, have extra Gardaí on the beach, patrolling, walking around, mingling with the crowd. It will make it safer for the members of Angarda Siakona, but also, of course, it's going to make it safer for members of the public. So we'll speak with the Garda Representative Association spokesperson out of West Cork uh, this morning. And then we're going to stay on the topic of festivals because a very worrying issue has been highlighted this week that could affect up to 200 festivals that are already planned, planning well in advance at this stage for festivals that are going to be on in the summer and into the early autumn. Now we know and we've carried interviews about it 
many times. We know there's a problem with public liability insurance. The problem being it is so expensive to get public liability insurance. In some cases, festival committees can't even get a quote and you can't go ahead with the festival unless you have the insurance, the necessary insurance uh, in place. Over the years, we've seen some festivals go to the wall and the organisers say can't do it anymore you know we're, all we're doing is fundraising just to pay the cost of the insurance and sadly because of that some festivals are gone there's now an even bigger threat to festivals this year and it's to do with the wonderful civil defence teams who turn up at the majority of these festivals we're going to find out what the problem is it seems to be something to do with certification for the members of the civil defence it smacks to me of red tape, to be very honest. But let's try and get to the bottom of it. Let's try and find out what is going on. But it seems if it can't get sorted, then the insurers who give the very high insurance premiums to the festivals may walk away completely and say, you know, unless you have an alternative to the civil defence in place to act as first aiders then we're not even going to quote you for your festival this year and I suppose the alternative would be private paramedics which is going to come with an additional cost and many the majority of the festivals are run on a shoestring of a budget they're run by volunteers any money made just goes towards the cost of running the festival and one of the biggest outlays that they currently have are the insurance uh, costs And, and I'm waiting to see will we get some commentary from people saying but doesn't it go back to the members of the public who attend these festivals and the litigious attitude that we seem to have that as soon as one of us or a family member or a child falls over we're straight away thinking I wonder how much money we could make out of this and people are suing and of course if you sue if a local festival gets sued because somebody has been injured no matter how minor the injury is you can you can be absolutely certain that their insurance premium is going to double, triple, even quadruple the following year. So do we all have a responsibility as well? And I'm, I have nothing against, if somebody is very seriously injured, I have nothing against that person going to court and getting the necessary compensation if they have been very seriously injured and, you know, they're out of work or they're incapacitated, they can even be permanently incapacitated. I accept all of that. But I'm talking about the small little trips and falls um, where people are just, it's almost like a licence to print money for some people. And if you read, and I read a lot of them in the papers, I'm almost like a magnet. I'm attracted to them. These various cases in the paper of somebody being before the court and for what looks like a very minor injury, I'm walking away with 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 and, you know, upper limits. Uh, whiplash, very hard to prove. Whiplash, does it exist? Is it really, you know, are you scamming when you say you've whiplash and that's not to take away from people who have suffered whiplash in the past? But all of us suffer. All of us are paying extra on our insurance premiums. And now the downside is we could lose a lot of these festivals and there's going to be a big knock on to that for local businesses because businesses make money during these uh, festivals. And people love to go along to the people come home on their holidays for the festivals. It would be a sad and a sorry day if we lost our community run festivals. We're going to speak with the Save for Moy Weir group again, a group we've spoken with many, many times on the programme. They are putting up such a huge campaign to save the Weir in Formoy. It is a protected structure. It is being washed away in front of their eyes. It isn't like this isn't something that happened 
happened overnight. This has been happening over a number of years and local people in the Fermoy area, I mean, they got together that the, the say, Fermoy Weir is an umbrella group of, of a lot of interested bodies, but they have constantly been raising their concerns and we've had false starts, really. We had how many promises, how many times I've done an interview saying a little bit of good news for the Weir, you know, a plan is going to be put in place, but the money, it always seems to go back to the money and who's going to pay. It can't all land on the lap of Cork County Council. So what government department needs to, pardon the pun, row in because rowers are really, really going to be affected if we lose the weir in for Moy. So they attended an Oroctus committee this week, members of the Save for Moy Weir group. So we've invited them onto the programme today because I want to find out how that meeting went and what kind of a reception did they get and did they come away feeling some way positive that something's going to be done for the wonderful, wonderful Weir in Formoy. We're also going to hear about a pilot programme that's going to run in Bantry. Now this is to help local businesses thrive and face current and future challenges. I imagine for the retail sector, one of the biggest challenges is to do with online shopping. Uh, What do local businesses need to do in order to compete with online shoppers? What, What do they need to do to encourage people People to keep their money in the town, in the town where they live and work and uh, play. So we're going to look at this pilot programme and the idea behind it is they get it up and running in Bantry and then we, if when, when it's up and running and successful, it'll get rolled out because it's been organised by Cork County Council. It get, will get rolled out to all other towns uh, across uh, Cork. We don't have a movie review because uh, Mark isn't with us uh, today. So in the um, after half 12 today, we are going to hook up with IRD Dohalo. They are looking for young adults to take part in an online survey. And we're going to have all the details of that online survey and what they're hoping to achieve uh, from it. So we'll be encouraging people to get involved with that. 1850-333-103. Are you enjoying canvassers calling to your door? They're getting, yesterday now was a lovely evening. I think I had three people ringing at the doorbell uh, yesterday, but it was a lovely evening to be out and about uh, canvassing. There's just two weeks left to go. This day, two weeks, the polling stations will officially be open. People at this stage, some will have already uh, casted their vote. But how are you feeling about canvassers coming to the door? Are you engaging with them? Are you talking with them? Uh, Because John in Boherbui has been on to us and this is to do with canvassers putting literature through your letterbox when you're not in. And even sometimes, I know earlier on in the week we heard from some people saying that some of the people out canvassing aren't even ringing the doorbell. They're literally just doing a leaflet drop. And I suppose that's got to do with some of the canvas, some of the candidates just not having enough manpower. And I mean, there, there are not enough hours in the day or days in the week for them to get to every single house. So I suppose if they can't, if they realise that they're not going to get to a particular housing estate knocking on the door, I suppose the next best thing is to put the flyer through the door to let you know who the person is and to let you know what they are standing for. Well, John in Bohabwe takes umbrage to anybody putting one of those leaflets through his letterbox. And he makes the point that 
Letterbox, the word and name Letterbox is there for a reason. It's for posting letters. Something that should come through your letterbox should have a stamp and your name and address on it. Your letterbox is privately owned, says John. It's not for rubbish. Now, he, he actually has a sign on his gate saying, no canvassers are no leaflets. Even with that sign very clearly on his gate, it's not even on the letterbox, it's on the gate. So as you go into John's house, as you enter onto his property, you will clearly see this sign saying, you're not welcome, don't want to hear from any would-be politicians and I don't want your leaflet uh, either. Anyway, uh, one day during the week, John went home to discover one candidate had put a leaflet through his door. So, so John wasn't leaving it there. I thought he was going to say just put it in the recycling bin. He didn't. He found a telephone number which obviously was on the leaflet. He rang the candidate and he said, would you come back and collect your leaflet, please? I deem it litter. I don't want your rubbish in my letterbox. Please come back and collect it. Now, seemingly the candidate said to him he didn't exactly know where John's house was. He couldn't remember dropping the leaflet uh, there. So I don't know what the end result was. Did John put it into the bin uh, or not? And I know last week or the week before we asked some of the candidates about uh, this, about this issue, that if they go to a letterbox and it clearly says, you know, no well, I don't know how many actually say no leaflets. Many say no junk mail. I know some of the candidates that we contacted said that they don't deem their leaflets to be junk mail. So therefore they ignore that sign and would still put the leaflets in. Others respect it if they see a sign saying no junk mail then they walk on by and don't put uh, the leaflets in. But I suppose there is an argument that when people put up those signs, no junk mail, they're not aiming at the politicians. They are aiming at the flyers and the businesses that do leaflet drops into the house. That's the type of literature that they don't want. So I suppose you could forgive candidates for saying, well, ours isn't junk mail. Ours is information that the person in the house is going to need because they're hopefully going to be going to the polling stations and they need to make up their mind who they're going to vote for. So your thoughts on the amount of literature that is coming through your letterbox. Are you with John and Bohabui and do you see it all as rubbish or are you taking time to read what is on the leaflets and can I say so far I have had leaflets that have come through the post from three maybe four of the candidates running in the European election and I'm delighted to say that it's coming and it says to the household so they're not sending an individual piece through the post you know, there's two of us who are registered to vote in uh, my house. They're not sending two pieces and you can have other households that can have four, five and six voters. You know, if you've got young adults still living at home and I know that frustrates people when a candidate will send in, actually post in their leaflet to individual named people because they're getting it from the Register of Electors. So well done. So far, as I say, the three uh, I'll have to double check. I have it in a file outside. Is it three, maybe four? There's certainly three springs to mind and it's just, it's got through the household, which is saving a little bit of money, I suppose, and saving the environment. People in the Mallow area will be aware last night there was a major 
search underway when a young girl, just a young 12 year old girl, failed to return home in Mallow. It was at about half six yesterday evening and that then at around 10 o'clock last night a massive search kicked in around Mallow to try to locate the schoolgirl uh, and thankfully she was found safe and well at 4am this morning and Mallow Gardaí have been in contact and they just want to say thank you to everybody who uh, showed up last night when the word went out that a young 12 year old was missing and there was you know a frantic effort uh, to find out where she was. Her family say they in particular want to thank the emergency services including the civil defence as well as the Coast Guard helicopter and the hundreds of local people who turned out uh, to search Guardian Mallow want to thank all of the community uh, who came out to help in the search as well and I saw it on the Act of Kindness page by uh, Mallow and it just shows the power of that page. They put up a message after 10 o'clock last night to say there was a young, this young 12 year old girl was missing in Mallow and was there anybody available to go out and help and the literally it just shows the power of a page like that um, it kicked in straight away people were straight away ten, you know, between 10 and 11 o'clock last night coats on people were gone off out what can we do and they turned out in great numbers so well done but the good news is that she has been found safe and well and that is a huge huge relief uh, to all of her family now tomorrow night there will be a lot of people up early in the morning because it's the darkness into light I want to wish the best of luck to everybody taking part in the darkness into light events here in Cork let me quickly run down through the number this has got to be the highest number I'm assuming ever in the Cork area darkness into light walk uh, Ballancolic Ballyvalan Ballyvorney Bandon Bantry Blarney Carrigaline Castletown Bear Clonacilty Cove Dunmanway Fromoy Glanmire Inchigila Canturk Kinsale Mallow, Middleton, Mitchellstown, Skull, Skibbereen, UCC and Yall. Isn't that incredible? There will be thousands of people out walking uh, tomorrow morning at uh, 4.15. If you're one of the ones taking part, can I wish you the best of uh, luck? And there's just a couple of texts in about local darkness into light walks. Danny Collins have been on, has been on to say, Patricia, could you announce that the Bantry Darkness into Light organisers have asked that all participants please arrive at 4am or before tomorrow morning as a large crowd has registered for the Brantry Walk. Now there will be parking available at Roa Pharmaceuticals, Casey's Tyre Centre, Lidl and there will be limited spaces at the Bantry Blues Pitch Wolf Tone Park where it starts. If people haven't registered they can still do so at the clubhouse uh, as well but come that little bit earlier please because you know the whole idea of darkness and delight is to get the walks underway at the same time and that's what you do you walk in the dark and you will walk into the light and Bandon the organisers of the Bandon Darkness into Light have been on to say uh, f- some people have been having trouble signing up to the website in the Bandon, Bandon area and if you're one of those and you'd still like to take part in the Darkness into Light walk you can pop into the Riverside Shopping Centre with your postcode please and your credit card uh, today from 12 noon until 4 this afternoon. That's in if you're in the Bandon area. But best of luck to everybody taking part in Darkness Into Light. It is a wonderful, wonderful event and it fundraises for the 
wonderful charity that is Pieta House that has and continues and will continue into the future to save lives. This is the Court Today replay on C103. The Garda Representative Association has called for more manpower to police festivals in West Cork. This was after drugs worth €11,000 were seized and three Gardaí were assaulted during a special policing operation mounted during the Kinsale Sevens Rugby Tournament. Joining me, GRA West Cork Garda Division spokesman, and that is Jason Collins. Good morning to you, Jason. Good morning. Uh, and, and you're welcome. Firstly, the three Gardaí who were assaulted over the bank holiday weekend, how are they doing? Are they all OK? Yeah, thankfully, we, we had three members assaulted on, on Sunday night, but um, thankfully the, the injuries weren't too serious and we'd be wishing us a very speedy recovery. Um, like It is traumatic, I suppose, on these people when they go to work. They expect to come home to their families and they don't expect to be, to be assaulted. And of course, their duties, even though people would think that's part of our work, but it is traumatic on them. But um, thankfully, there was no serious injuries. And are Garda assaults, uh, Jason, commonplace? Unfortunately, it's part of our duty, and it is, and it takes place. We, we have, I suppose, we have a number of people, even in the division at the moment, who are, who are out um, sick on injuries on duty, and but it's it's an unfortunate part of life in in our job, you know. And extra guardy on duty during the staging of uh, festivals like this. Um, do the management put on extra guardy because you would know the festival, particularly something about the Kinsale Sevens, it's going to attract a large number of people. Yeah, um, I suppose there was, this weekend, especially, there was a huge amount of work done by our playing clubs and, and officers on the ground. Um, I suppose the amount of detection showed this, and it was probably unprecedented in the division, such an operation, and it was credit to all the numbers who were working. Um, like, there was extra resources brought in, but often, you know, it can be unexpected what transpires during the course of a night or during the course of a weekend. But I suppose there was over 20,000 people brought into Kinsale over the weekend, and the vast majority of people, you know, didn't cause any trouble or, or were very law-abiding. But we did we did have serious issues that definitely we get on from the night. But isn't that always the case? It's the few that are going to ruin it for the majority. It definitely is, you know. And like, I suppose public order is always our main concern, you know. And this certainly affects the, the welfare of our people, you know, on the ground and who are dealing with the unsocial activity. I suppose the numbers... The, the detections speak for themselves, but I suppose what we're saying is if you have more people on the ground, high visibility, it often acts as a, as a deterrent and will often stop any public order activity before it even begins. There were 60 drug detections made uh, at the festival. Is drug use becoming more commonplace at events like that? I suppose the, the facts speak for themselves. It, it was, uh, I suppose I'll say again, it was unprecedented, I think, for such a festival or and even going forward, something we have to look at. But it, 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 it is what it is. Um, and in, in credit to our members, and we had extra plainclothes members in, and the amount of detections are shocking, but it really is um, It's credit to those people who are on the ground who, who were dealing with that. Also, people arrested for suspected drink driving. Uh, that, to me, is utterly shocking because we're just not getting the message across. No. Um, I, the message is out there. And I think it's, it's on social media, the guards, public relations. We, we we get it out there, but there were six arrests, as far as I'm aware, of the, from the figures that were released. And it really is shocking that people would get behind the wheel, especially a bank holiday weekend with so many people around. You know, it's just a bigger belief, really. Yeah, because with so many people around, the roads are, are going to be busier. I mean, the 
anyone who's stupid enough to get behind the wheel of a car with drink, they're not only taking their uh, a risk with their own lives, but they could go on to kill somebody else. No, absolutely. And you have, you have, you have people who be intoxicated walking home, you know, and somebody behind the wheel come along and, you know, it's just, there's so many dangers there, you know, driving through the street, which were, you can see from the unrest and public orders that we had in Kinsale, Kinsale was, was packed and it just, it, it's, it's mind-boggling really. And, the, the, you know, these people will be dealt with accordingly in the courts, but it just, it's unfortunate, really, really is. So your call, Jason, is for more manpower to be brought in, both for the safety of your own members, but also for the safety of the public. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Look, it's a view that we have, like the visibility, it's, it's strength in numbers, you know, and if you have enough people on the ground, high visibility, especially for something that's unexpected like this, you know, it deters public order and, it, and it's, and it, like you said, it's, it's two strands. It's one, the safety numbers for our members and certainly for members of the public because people are innocent bystanders walking down the street. They're looking at this. You know, it, it's, they could get involved, unfortunately. And, you know, deterrent, I think, is everything. And we that's what we're calling it. We have a lot of festivals coming up in West Cork, but nationwide, you know, and really manpower on the ground, high visibility policing is something that we'd be really, really calling for. Yeah, and I think the general public, they feel safer when they, they see do, a higher yeah. visibility of, of Gardaí. They do at these events, because these, a lot of people, you know, myself, Patricia and West Cork, most of these festivals are very family-orientated, you know, and I suppose a lot of our members in West Cork were rural policing, we're, 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 we're used to interacting with the public, and we can make it a very, you know, nice place to be. And But when things do go do go wrong and you have intoxication, and especially under alcohol and, and drugs, the higher numbers that are on the ground can deter this, you know. So let's use what happened at the Kinsale Sevens almost as a wake-up call and make sure going forward that every other, every other festival that's going to be held in the summer will have enough police manpower. That's, that's, that's all we're looking for. Okay. Exactly. All right, we leave it there, Jason. Thank you for that, and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks. Patricia. Good Cheers. morning to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, GRA uh, representative, spokesperson for West Cork, uh, Jason Collins. And we may not have to worry so much about uh, festivals, unfortunately, because our next piece is highlighting the fact of how many festivals are under threat. And we're going to find out more and why after these. This summer, thousands of people will love this feeling. You can experience it too. C103 invites you to run the Irish Examiner Cork City Marathon. Sunday, June 2nd. Whatever your fitness, whatever your goal, whatever your reason, we want you to hit the streets. Hit the streets. Team or go solo in the half or full marathon. Register now at CorkCityMarathon.ie. CorkCityMarathon.ie. The Irish Examiner Cork City Marathon. Sunday, June 2nd. With C103. Up to 200 festivals around the country are now under threat due to the insurance crisis with the news that the Ballina Salmon Festival has been cancelled for the first time in 65 years due to surging insurance premiums. Joining me with his concerns, Colm Cruffy, who is Executive Director of the Association of Irish Festivals and uh, Events. Good morning to you, Colm. Good morning. Uh, And you're welcome. Firstly, by how much has insurance premiums risen in recent years for these festival committees? We are tracking increases in insurance premium for the last 60 months between 18 and 35 percent. 
So that's quite high. Well, I was on uh, another radio station yesterday morning. The Mary from the North was saying that um, their insurance costs represent 5% of their total budget. So for the first uh, five cents of every euro they would bring in to fundraising or to revenue for the festival, it goes out the door in insurance premiums. But that's just what the, the rise of the insurance premium is one issue. The second issue, I suppose, Patricia, is the fact that a lot of activities that were synonymous with the Irish Festival are now effectively prohibited. You can do them, but you pay more to have them insured. So fun tournaments, soccer teams, uh, rounders, uh, five-a-side hurling, uh, participatory event, the audience getting up on a, on a, on a tightrope, uh, being involved in baking bread, anything to do with fire, anything to do with live animals, anything to do near an open water course, a lake, um, a city park with an open water course. You can do them, but you, you attract a higher cost and load factor on your premium. And, and is, is, sorry, go on, yeah, you do go to the third issue. The, there's the third issue that I think your listeners might, might not be aware of, is that the, the local authorities uh, will request organisers of uh, community events to indemnify them to, to a specific sum. And the level of indemnity used to be around 1.3, 1.2 million, which was quite affordable. But now we have some local authorities around the country who are looking for indemnity, that's the amount that our insurers will pledge to them in the case of an incident, of up to 9.6 oh. million. Oh. And for every million a committee goes up on that Richter scale, it's another thousand in premium. And is any of this down to, or how much of this is down to people putting in claims against the organisers of the festivals? Well, it's interesting. The the members in the Alliance for Insurance Reform, of which Eva, uh, the Association of Irish Residents, are a key member, have been looking at some data on this in the last three years. And there seems to be, from what we can extrapolate from the limited information, naturally from the insurance companies that's available, is that there is no correlation between claim and claim costs and premium. No correlation whatsoever. So you could be a festival who's had a no claimant history for 15 years and still watch as your premium rises. And then you say, okay, so obviously there's been other payouts, so there's been other claims through the festival or through events or through community activities. And yet we're, we, we haven't read about high court um, uh, settlements or we haven't learned about significant payouts in the sector. Now, there are small slips, trips and falls that continually, I suppose, are settled uh, on the steps of the courthouse or within the insurance company to, to solicitor. That goes on. But we're not aware of a flood of claims mm. from the sector that would warrant the type That's of That's interesting. That That's, we've seen. That is interesting. And then we're also discovering that there's a problem this year with the civil defence who act as the first aiders at these events. Explain what's going on there. Yeah, it's 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 tricky because the, the big players to this problem aren't commentingly openly, I suppose, on what's going on. But for for years, since the 1950s, in fact, civil defence was founded, uh, the community sector has a very close relationship with them, providing first aid cover, triage and emergency medical procedures and support to a variety of parades, processions, sporting events, of which community festivals and arts festivals and music festivals are a key part of in the, in the not-for-profit sector. And uh, up to now, there was no issue with that, except that the licensing authority within the HSE, which must provide an appropriate regulatory license to those who can be accredited as paramedics and providing paramedical service, runs out at the end of July for the civil defence. And there is some dispute or um, situation that has arisen between the Department of Defence, which funds the civil defence 70%, 
and the local authorities, which fund the other 30% of the civil defence, which is a volunteer core made up of the ordinary men and women in our mm. communities who give up of their time voluntarily to help through storms, through flood damage there in Cork. My goodness, where would we be without the civil defence? Um, so they have a huge, significant role to play in supporting us in good times and bad. And if they were to fall foul of some regulatory licensing issue over, we believe, an issue over who is accepting the liability for the supervision of the medicines administered, the triage providers, and the training of the individuals involved. Sounds like so bureaucracy gone mad. Well, as I described it yesterday to uh, somebody else, it's a bit like being caught in a Bermuda Triangle between the Department of Defence, the Department of Health, and the Department of of local government and climate change. So there's but the collateral damage could be oh, it the could be festivals. Because you can't have insurance if, unless you have emergency medical cover. It's, it's a stipulation of health and safety, safety regulation. So if you and I are having a, a barbecue for the village fete uh, on a sunny Sunday, hopefully in the bank holiday weekend of June, and we want to affect, to put in place the insurance, our insurers will ask us, Section 4 of the form, what emergency cover, medical cover, will you be providing? And that answer would have been filled in in over 600 festivals, but 200 between the end of July and the end of the year, heading into Samhain and Halloween and all those festivals, um, would be provided by the civil defence. And would mean that you and I on the committee wouldn't have to pay a private company to come in and manage a paramedical ambulance and provide maybe three or four of a crew during the duration of our fun day or our barbecue or our procession or our it's folk festival or whatever. And, 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 and I mentioned when I was talking about you coming on the programme today, Colm earlier, I mentioned, you know, the fe- the committees that organise these festivals, they're all volunteers. Like yeah, well, the, the, this isn't a cash cow. This is not an area where huge sums of money are made. This, this is the, the this is the toxicity of the insurance racket that has got out of control on the island, because our society is paying a far more higher cost, in my opinion, than just the increase in premiums and the litigation. Because what it is effectively doing is it's forcing the state into a corner to cover off all the bases so that liability is removed from the state in any occasion where people would gather or people would congregate. And the fact of the matter is, if this continues, the only thing we'll have on our streets will be a funeral procession, because there will be no ability of a local community group to pay for the type of premiums that will be required to go out and have a, a Shannos, um a flag hole, a, do you know, the, the myriad of things that, that, that illuminate our summer, that, 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 that entertain our, our, our autumn culture night, all those wonderful And bring in a lot of tourists, tr- bring in a lot well, of tourists to make a lot of money for of, the one, economy. One arm, one arm of the state is encouraging us all to focus our events to make sure that the international visitor can be welcome and to feel welcome at them. And visitors, and that's quite right and quite important. And here is another arm of the state who just doesn't want the liability, so obviously is making sure that harsher regulations on committees and volunteers who are doing it pro bono for the public good. There's there's about 600 community and, and not-for-profit festivals on the island who are motivated purely by film if it's fast net, folk if it's Cork folk, um, arts if it's uh, Cork midsum, and the le- the legacy of the uh, maritime culture in the city, 
they're motivated by the teams and the location and their sense of community. Yeah. They're not motivated by profit. Yeah. And I think it's time that the state and its, and its officials started to wise up to the fact that in, in an increasingly pressurised society where volunteer time with a commuter society, particularly where people have to travel some distances to go to work, the the the, the effort it takes to come back outside your hall door at 8.30 of a midweek night to attend a meeting for an hour, hour and a half to give time to your community council, to your festival, to your um, cultural event, to your sports club, to be met with these regulations and these onerous responsibilities because of a thing called insurance is getting out of hand. I mentioned in the introduction the Ballina uh, Salmon Festival, 65 years in existence and it's been cancelled. That must be so disappointing news for people in in that area. Well, it's 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 very devastating for for a lot of the volunteers involved who have been who given a lifetime, if not there's families there who've given two and three generations of summers to making sure that like the Rose of Tralee, like uh, Cork Midcombe, like um, there's great festivals in, in Cork County and Cork City as well who've had long legacy, and you know the, the communities that, of which these festivals spring from and. I suppose illuminate for a period of the summer or autumn or spring, you know, would, would be shell shocked by the loss of, of an activity that, that marks the calendar in a very special way for people who come home for those events, mm. who don't, who maybe find the Christmas and the Easter travel time a bit too expensive uh, for a variety of reasons, or there's schooling or whatever involved. And those hallmark summer events around the West Coast, around the Midlands, around the whole island have become signature gathering moments for communities of our own modern diaspora in a way, but I think sometimes the, go- the government thinks it's just for the gathering or it's just for making up stuff, you know, but it actually does affect people's lives. And I'm, uh, we, we will be working closely with our colleagues in Ballina Salmon who were founding members of IFA back in the 90s to make sure that, that what emerges is bigger and stronger and better for 2020. Okay. And, and, with the challenges. and the issue with the civil defence, uh, I was reading the papers today, they're, they're hoping to try to get that sorted for next week. Yes, <clears throat> thankfully there has been some wising up movement on the pl- on the part of officialdom, and um, the minister at defence, um, the Wexford gentleman, his name escapes me. I think it's a John John Feeland. No, the John Feeland's minister for environment, junior. There's so many of them; it's hard to keep. <laughs> Paul Kill, Paul Kill, very good. Uh, is uh, is calling a summit? Is what his, his his team have described it, where he's bringing the heads of the three organisations together. That's the City and County Managers Association, the Ministry of Defence, and the HSE, and the officials within HECAP, which is the um, Emergency Cover care procedures protocol licensing body which certifies those who bring um, victims or, or medical uh, patients to hospitals in advance of, of visiting an ER suite um, there to meet I believe in the next week and hopefully they, they will route map or flight map what procedures have to be tightened up on or fixed or eliminated or are jettisoned or done or completed uh, with a route map that will allow the Civil Defence Battalion to have their certificate to practice uh, by the end of July. Okay, and again, they're all volunteers doing the most amazing work. Colin, we leave it there, no doubt we'll speak again. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Bye-bye. That is uh, Colin Croffey, who is the Executive Director of uh, IFA, which is the Association of Irish Festivals and uh, Events. And it was good to see in the paper today that they are going to try and knock heads together and get that issue with the civil defence sorted out. But it's only because the likes of Colin uh, Croffey and uh, 
you know, went public and started saying, look, something needs to be done. We need to get this uh, sorted out. Somebody needs to shout stop, even though on the insurance issue, because the Alliance of Insurance Reform that Colm mentioned, we've Peter Boland, we've how many times have we had Peter on the on the programme? People have been shouting stop for so long, but nobody seems to be listening. Uh, 1850-333-103 We're going to take a break We've news at 11 on the way In the next hour The Save for Moy Weir group will join us And there's another issue That could affect local fe- festivals And local events In the Formoy area In the uh, summer months And also we hear about A pilot uh, programme in Bantry To help local uh, businesses And of course we'll catch up With your calls and comments All to come You're listening to Cork Today On Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed. And I text in from a listener saying, I'm stuck in a traffic jam in Mallow Town. You can really sense the frustration in the uh, text. Yeah, it's just that Friday uh, traffic. And uh, I just, I have so much sympathy for the business people trying to do business when there's so many people stuck in traffic outside of their door. It really, really is frustrating. Now, we're talking about leaflets being dropped through people's doors today, the political leaflets. Are you getting many of them? Are you enjoying having canvassers called to your door? And in particular for people who put signs up saying no junk mail, are would be our candidates, would be politicians. Are they ignoring those signs because their literature in their eyes, not junk mail, it's got information that they want you to have. So therefore they're still putting them through the letterbox. Dennis was on to say he ha- he's getting flyers in the post in his wife's name. And unfortunately, his wife passed away about three years ago. And it's always upsetting. Anyone who's ever lost a loved one will tell you it's always upsetting if you get mail in in the person's name, particularly, you know, in the weeks and months after the uh, after the loved one has passed away. Not everybody has found out about it. The name hasn't been taken off every database and it can be very upsetting. But Dennis said three years on, still getting literature in the post. But what's interesting is the polling cards have arrived and his late wife's name it's obviously been taken off the register of electors because a polling card hasn't arrived for his wife. So obviously some of the candidates are working off an old register of electors if they're coming in in Dennis's wife's uh, name. Yeah, and that is an, and can be upsetting. Sorry to hear that that's happening to you, uh, Dennis. Hi, Patricia. All we got was a load of leaflets through the door. No callers. And that's somebody texting us in the Bishopstown uh, area. Someone else says, when my election mail is dropped in, they're in the bin immediately unread. What a waste. I hate people canvassing. And that goes for all parties, says this texter. I have no interest at all. Amora says, morning, Patricia. I've had no one knocking at my door yet, thank God. But then again, says Maura, I'm here in Ballydesmond. We're in a bit of a no-go area for politicians at the moment. The County Council have granted planning permission to erect a storage facility for massive power batteries. Now, this is, and actually it's making, I think it's this week's uh, Corkman there's a there's a piece about this. This is out of Kerry uh, County Council, uh, and this is the storage batteries that they are planning to erect in or just outside of Bally Desmond and battery storage compounds. They store excess electricity, which is generated by wind farms when the wind is high. And then what happens is they're released back into the grid when the wind turbines are uh, slack. And obviously, there's been a lot of people in the Bally Desmond area do not want these huge 
batteries anywhere near them. And I know it's uh, Maria Hurley is writing in the paper this week about it and about the fact that there was huge disappointment and anger in, in Ballydesmond at the decision taken by Kerry County Council to grant planning permission subject to conditions now for the battery storage facility which can store up to 40 battery units, transformers and associated equipment at a place called Ballynahulla which is just outside of Ballydesmond but the real danger is if one of these batteries goes on fire and then it's the kind of what's released into the atmosphere if one of them goes on fire. It's a toxic cloud Um, and they literally would have to evacuate the village and as far as I know the evacuation would have to happen within I think it's about 10 minutes or something. They would have to get everybody out to get everybody out uh, safe. So that's a huge worry for people in Bally Desmond. So Maura reckons it could be one of the reasons why nobody's coming and knocking at their door to say, do you want to give me a vote in the local uh, election? And Maura says, you've seen what the Chernobyl disaster has done. Well, Trish, you won't have to travel too far to see similar. Oh God, Maura. Please God, there wouldn't be anything like that. But I, I, yeah, I can understand your fears if for people having to live near something. Now, you know, if if it does go ahead, because I'm I'm assuming local people will continue with their objections to it. You would hope and pray that nothing would go wrong. But you would then, but for the people living there, they live with the constant fear. What happens if? something does uh, does go wrong uh, because of this whole idea of the toxic fumes that would come if one of these batteries went on uh, fire. Uh, 1850-333-103 as I say, huge, huge sympathies for the people of uh, Bally Desmond. That is a real real worry. We were talking about festivals in the last hour. Michael said did the festival committee not have sufficient security in place for the festival? The Gardaí cannot and should not have to provide security for festivals. No, I don't think that's what um, Jason Collins was talking about, Michael, when we spoke to him about what had happened at the Kinsale Sevens because the Kinsale Sevens was nothing to do with the festival organisers providing security I mean the majority of people who went along last weekend law abiding had a wonderful time it was just a small cohort of uh, people but there were 60 drug detections made uh, across the weekend 29 people uh, were arrested and also there was a number arrested uh, for drink driving and that's got nothing to do with security. That's the Gardaí themselves and unfortunately three members of Gardaí Siakana were also uh, assaulted. So that's the reason that the local GRA are saying we know these festivals are happening. We know we're going to, you know, many, many people turning up at these festivals. We need to have extra people on the ground and have extra manpower. You know, the, the management of the local Garda Division need to need to say okay that festival is on that weekend we're going to be expecting 20,000 people based on last year let's put extra Garda on the beat and Mary by WhatsApp says hi Patricia tuned turned on my TV this morning to get the 7 o'clock news one of the items featured was the farmers meeting yesterday in Dublin with regard to the price of beef beef Mary says, I was appalled to see some of the farmers shouldering a real coffin with the word beef printed on its side. I thought it was terrible. It actually gave me a shiver just to see the coffin being taken inside and laid in front of the podium. 
uh, most disrespectful. You can make a point, but please don't make it this way, says Mary. Did anybody else see that? I knew probably was it on the news last yesterday evening as well because Mary's right that protest took place yesterday is that a step too far I know the point the farmers are trying to make they're trying to get across to the powers that be if you don't help out the beef farmers the industry is going to die and I suppose somebody has decided somebody came up with the idea that if the industry is going to die how do we show in a visual way that the industry is going to die well, we carry uh, a coffin. Now, according to Mary, it was a real coffin. She said in the text that they took in a real coffin, not just a box. It was a real coffin. Do they, I don't know, they never used a real coffin, do they? they? Is it just a box to look like a coffin? They, they would never have gone out and, to an undertaker and bought a coffin, would they? Borrowed a coffin? Oh, I don't know. Anyway, did anybody else see it? Are you with Mary? Most disrespectful. You know, make the point. Other ways to make the point. But please don't be bringing out a coffin. Uh, 1850. And it's not just farmers. I mean, that's that's been, I've seen others use it, use that analogy to get a message across that something is going to die if something doesn't happen. I don't know if it's the first time that farmers have decided to use the analogy and actually use a, a coffin. But is it completely disrespectful and upsetting I suppose for somebody maybe who has recently suffered a bereavement you know the last thing you want to see when you flick on the news is farmers uh, carrying in a coffin by way of a protest anyway your thoughts welcomed 1850 John Paul taking the call so phones have been busy this morning so do bear with us on that you can text your WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The latest jobs on C103 Official media partner of the Irish Examiner Cork City Marathon Sunday June 2nd Get working now to run the full half or relay More details at c103.ie Driving instructor is required for the Mallow area. You need to be RSA qualified. Well, a dairy farmer worker is required for the Killa area. Previous experience essential. Caretaker for Rathmore GAA grounds required. That's for a 12-month contract. And Cork County Council are looking to retain firefighters for Carrigaline Fire Station. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. C103, the River Lee and the Echo bring you the Cork City Sports Athletics Award. Athletics Award. Every month, a panel of sporting experts will give recognition to an outstanding Cork athlete. Cork athlete. This month's award goes to Eamon Flanagan from Abbey Striders AC. He's recognised for his coaching of three medalists in the women's pole vault at the National Senior Indoor Championship. The Cork City Sports Athletics Award with the River Lee and the Echo and C103. Joint Committee on Public Petitions this week heard calls for urgent repairs to be carried out at Fromoy Weir that we know from countless interviews on this programme is a protected structure that has been severely damaged by flooding over the years. Paul Kavanagh of the Safe for Moy Weir joins me to discuss what reception. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, 
relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. They got at the Oireachtas uh, Committee and where they hope to go from here. Uh, good morning to you, Paul. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you're welcome. Firstly, what did you have to do to bring the plight of Moy Weir to the Oireachtas Committee? What what lens did you have to well, go to to oh, get there? Okay, we had to, we had to. There is um, a committee, an Oireachtas committee called the Joint Committee on Public Petitions. Okay, this is a new type of committee set up. Your listeners will be familiar with those that they see on the television, where they bring in different groups and question them. They could be the department, they could be the health service. We wanted, we petitioned the doll through Sean Sherlock uh, to petition Cork County Council, Inland Fisheries Ireland, and every relevant department, including the OPW, to come and answer questions and let us get the facts on the table. That was what our petition was, and we are delighted to say that that petition was successful. So, so you went to Dublin this week and you laid out the case as to the questions that need to, need to be asked about the future of the weir. Correct. Okay. Where are we? Who's responsible? Why are we having a delay? Who said this? Who said that? And why are we getting misinformation? And a lot of the deputies had misinformation. So all those items, we put our side up and... Our main aim was to make sure that the others are called in. So at the end of a, lo- a long session, most of these sessions only last 10 minutes. Our one went on, I think, for about 30, 40 minutes. Well done. Uh, we, the, the group of deputies and senators, voted unanimously to call on the other parties to come to the table at a date in June, we believe, where they will be asked very serious questions based on the information that we supplied on Wednesday. And then that same Oireachtas Committee then will make a finding, will make recommendations? Finding recommendations finding. Okay. And, bring it to, and bring it to the main Dáil Chambers. Okay. All right, just so, what, what can, just to let, I'm conscious of people outside of the area, yes. Paul, what condition is the weir in at the moment? On a lovely, oh. beautiful, sunny day like today, if you were looking out of the weir, what would you, what, what are you seeing? Yeah, well, if you ask me to describe it in one word, I'd say a skeleton. Oh, right? Yeah. It, it's awful. Um, Fiona Cochran, your senior reporter, was with me yesterday evening. She actually was taken back and couldn't believe what she was looking at. Uh, I explained the various parts of it, the details of it, the dangers that are now associated with it, the the slipping on the river, the fact that we can't get on the river, we can't get boats on the river, and you're asking me, as of this morning, it's actually worse. It's dropping 
two, three, and four inches per day. How low can it go? Do you know what? We don't know. But base, we're now at August levels, right? Yeah. When I spoke to you last, we were at June levels, and in those short two weeks, we have dropped to August levels. We're in drought, even though it was raining uh, yeah, two days ago. Yeah, and it's only like we're, we're, we're for this forecast for a bit of fine weather, you know, and, and but we're hoping for a good summer like we had last year. If you we're if, all hoping, yeah. But if we, if we get that summer. with the way the weir is at the moment, Paul. Oh, yeah. Well, there'll be no regatta. Yeah. There'll be no triathlon. Oh, there'll be no God. Atlantic swim. The, fish, the, the, the wheelie boat, which is, was designed for, it's the only one in Ireland, it's a Mark III, designed for disabled anglers, cannot get on the water safely. It just can't. Christy O'Donovan, Kipper, just can't get the boat on the water for the disabled anglers. So he's, he's, and that is against human rights. We've, we, we've taken, we've put all these points to the doll. A lot of these people uh, that are, are knocking us, and that's Inland Fisheries Ireland, and I won't mince my words here. Inland Fisheries Ireland are dictating to Cork County Council, and when I say Cork County Council, I mean the executive, the engineers, the executive of Cork County Council are being dictated to by Inland Fisheries Ireland. It's been denied. It was in the papers being denied. That's why we went to the Dáil and said, lads, would someone ever tell us the truth, please? Who ne- but but, but, but yeah, who, who needs to provide the funding? I mean, it can't all be down to Cork County Council. It's 3.5 million, isn't it, is reckoned? Well, this is what I was just about to say to you. One deputy in the Dáil from, and this is what we were dealing with, obviously, is deputies from all over the country. So your listeners who mightn't be familiar with Formoy, one deputy, Eugene Murphy, he's from Roscommon, okay. actually asked me on Dáil record that he had heard that the figure was 4.5 million. So this is, if, if, if these people don't know the figures, what we are saying is a repair to the wear, to the wear only. Yeah. Bring it back to what it used to be would cost less than a million euros. But Inland Fisheries Ireland are pushing for a brand new fish pass over in what is described as the triangle field. It's the field next to the park. And that's what's going to cost... And that's what's going to cost the money, and that's and that's the big smoke screen. The other big smoke screen here is, and we had I'm on Facebook there and Twitter having a huge argument with some professor of of marine biology uh, in the UK about this, who is basically saying, I'm saying, I'm quoting the facts here. For every hundred smolt fish salmon that go out to the sea from the River Blackwater, there's only three maybe four, returning. Right? That's, mm-hmm. to, that's to the edge. And then you have illegal fishing and illegal netting going on, which they have no figures for. And at the same time, there's a surplus of salmon above what has been caught of 7,200, and I'm quoting these are Inland Fisheries Ireland own figures. There's a, there's a surplus of 7,200, and then they're telling us there's a problem. Right? The problem is fixed away, lads. Okay, stay there because you mentioned that Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter, went to Fomoy yesterday. And I know there's a video actually gone up on our Facebook page, uh, John Paul uh, tells me. But she also uh, spoke with some members of the Fomoy Rowing Club. And the first voice you're going to hear is Anna Mahoney. She's a rower with Fomoy Rowing Rowing Club. And uh, Fiona spoke to her yesterday and she started by asking her how long she's actually rowing. Two years now, I'd say. 
And what does it mean to you to be able to come down here and do all the training and then get out on the water in the boat? Oh, it actually means everything. It's, rowing is my life. Like I actually love it a bit. It's so great. And it's a really good community as well, and everyone really gets involved in everything. So now this year, obviously, there's a problem. You guys can't get the boats out. Um, you know, what kind of an effect is that having on people here? Oh, like, we can't get enough water training in, so then when we go to racing, we're not as experienced as other rowers in racing, then on the water. And it's, it's then we lack in technique then as well on the water because we don't get enough experience on the water. So everyone here is at a disadvantage then if, if you're entering any competitions? Yeah, really is. It's really disappointing then as well when you lose after doing a lot of work indoors, but it's because you don't have enough work outdoors then. And I was talking to some of the guys outside and they were saying that if this problem isn't fixed in the next year or so, that the, the club here could essentially close. What would that mean to you? I'd probably have to give up rowing because like, the nearest club would be Cork and that's like an hour away then for me. And to ask my mum to drive me up and down every day wouldn't be good. Like, she, it wouldn't be possible. Like, so then I couldn't further my training at all. Isn't that heartbreaking to hear from a young girl who's so committed and, and wants to get better at what she's doing? That really is shocking. Fiona also spoke with uh, Stephen Donlan, who is also with the Femoy Rowing Club, and he was telling Fiona how the damage to the weir is affecting training and everyday activities on the river. We're in a situation now where we have a regatta this year, or this week, I beg your pardon, in, in tomorrow in Lee in Cork. Um, none of our crews have been able to train for the last... A uh, number of uh, weeks because of the height of the water. Like basically, we're limited to a thousand meters when when we were able to launch. But you can see yourself from the slipway that that um, that we have, we're, we're not physically able to safely put boats on that. Like you're asking uh, juniors of 12, 13, 14, 15 years of age um, to try and carry boats worth anything from ten up to twenty thousand euro down onto that slipway and try and launch it safely. Um, from their perspective, it's 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 not safe. From our perspective, we're very very worried from a health and safety perspective. And obviously, the summertime is a really busy time for the rowing club here. But uh, what are your concerns so about the summer ahead? So our concerns, my, well, my concerns. I, I grew up in Formoy, and if you look down at, at at the at the bridge itself and the first eye of the bridge, traditionally you would have had uh, young boys showing off, if you like, jumping into the, the the river from the bridge. If they did that right now, because of the change in the flow of the river, because of the weir collapsing. Um, they'd, they'd be taken off by the by the flow because the, the river flow has changed completely. Okay, and that was um, Stephen uh, Donlan. Uh, God, it's it, uh, Paul listening to that. It's just it's it's awful, isn't it? It's just so unfair on those people. It's very unfair, actually. As we speak, <clears throat> Stephen had rang me earlier this morning, wanting to know was I in Cork or in Formoy because we actually have engineers on site as we speak, trying to come up with an idea as a, a plan. Uh, as to how we can actually get roars underwater. We cannot get roars underwater. When Fiona came yesterday, she said, can I see a few roars underwater? I said, absolutely not, because they're not there, and it's not safe. And as Stephen pointed out there, we're really worried about when the school breaks uh, on the 29th or 30th of May. Yeah, we're only weeks uh, away. (laughs) Exactly. They all, I mean, Barnane, in Fromoy and the bridge on a hot summer's day they'll be jumping in and oh. the water it'll be totally different to what it was last year and that's the big point I'm trying to make that we're now at August levels so we're we're three months four months ahead of ourselves here So so do, do you have a plan what do you think could be done in the interim while we well, await the decision makers to Absolutely there's a very simple plan 
And yeah. it was, sorry, and just to say, we put this plan to Cork County Council last year via our councillors, and it was rejected with two plans. EA was to put baskets of uh, rocks in on the eyes of the bridge to stop the flow of the water. Okay. That was declined because they said it would interfere with the fish passage. We then went and researched uh, what is called a boon, a B-O-O-N. It's like a huge sausage, the height of the ceiling and the width of, of, your, of the room you're sitting in, right? And you fill half fill that with water. It floats on the water. The fish can get out underneath, but it stops the flow that Stephen was referring to there, the dangerous flow of the water from the Grand Hotel under the first eye of the bridge and down by the Garda Barracks. It will stop that dangerous flow. It will still have a flow, but it won't be a dangerous flow. That will raise water levels and give us back our rowing, give us back our triathlon and save our summer with the swimmers. And how much would it cost to deploy one of th- that boom? Uh, I'm going to give you a UK figure. Okay. If we pu- if we went over this this week and purchased it in a van, it would be £35,000. Convert that and they would actually come over and fit it professionally for fifty. Okay, that's €50,000. That's, that's, that's that surely is, is that's doable, isn't it? It's very doable if we, if we could only know. I know that Councillor June Murphy contacted me this morning, who is who is the mayor of the municipal district, and June is looking to, for, to try and arrange a meeting with us with the senior engineer and senior SEO of the of the area for Cork County Council to to put this to them again. And I say again because it was put to them last year, but putting it to them again in an engineering format to say, lads, you can do it. They're going to need this anyway when they do when they carry out the repair works. The See. problem, as I, I think I pointed out the last time, is that the repair works are going to take a minimum of two years. And you don't, you, listening to what you're saying and listening to Fiona's pieces, you don't have the uh, two years. We don't have time. And no. we'll keep a close eye on when the uh, officials from Cork County Council, the IFI, the OPW and the National Parks and Wildlife Service, when they are all in front of the Joint uh, Aroxys Commission, it'll be interesting to see what they have to say. Paul, we'll talk again in the meantime. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme. Good morning to you. That is Paul Kavanagh. And Paul is a member of the Save for Moy Weir. Now, Cork County Council has launched a pilot retail support programme in a bid to help local businesses thrive in the face of present and future challenges. Spantry Town has been chosen to pilot the scheme and joining me with details of what it will mean for the town, I'm joined by Kevin Curran, who's Head of Enterprise with the Local Enterprise Office. Good morning to you, Kevin. Good morning, Patricia, and thanks for having me on. Well, you're welcome. What are the biggest challenges facing re- retail, especially in smaller towns? And would I be right in saying online shopping would be one of them? Certainly, Patricia, that's undoubtedly part of it. Look, we're living in a very, very, very changing environment. And I suppose people have to realise that change is inevitable unless it's a vending machine you're talking about. But things have changed. Online is both is a challenge, certainly, to our businesses. But I suppose we're pushing it to them. Look, look at it as an opportunity as well, too. And rather than say, right, I can't deal with this or I can't cope with that, embrace it, move on, learn how it works and use it to your advantage. Why has Bantry been selected to pilot this project? Uh, Two simple reasons. Firstly, we had approaches from businesses in Bantry saying, look, could you have a look at what we're at and maybe help us to do it a little bit better? And secondly, in terms of rolling it as a pilot, it has kind of um, a good mix of things maybe that we can learn from just in terms of what's happening in the town. Firstly, look at it as a tourism town. Beautiful location, gateway to three peninsulas in the West Carcass on the Wild Atlantic Way. Tourism is a big deal there. But it's also 
you might say, a more traditional market stroke service type town for a large rural hinterland. I think it's going to allow us to do things and maybe learn a few things there that will benefit towns that are, you know, service towns, maybe dormitory towns, maybe tourism towns, and hopefully those lessons will um, will lead to a few things for other places as well. Yeah, because you're right, you've got the you've got all the mix going on in, in, in Bantry. Yeah, yeah. Now, you're kicking off with a, a breakfast event yeah. next Wednesday. Um, yeah. Tell me about that. Well, I suppose, look, with anything, we have to introduce it some way. So we brought together a few speakers just to talk talk about a few things that are maybe happening or hot and also I suppose maybe to bring a few lessons from a couple of other towns as well too so we're hoping look anybody in business in Bantry whether you're in retail whether you're in services whether you're in hospitality or food service come along and have a listen I think our speakers are going to be interesting um, we have Don Colbert from Fault Ireland who is going to talk a little bit of connecting the visitor to what's happening in Bantry in terms of its food and retail offering. So making that connection between customer and business. Jean McCabe from Willow, which is an NS-based business, which is um, it's a boutique business, a fashion business, which has unashamedly and wonderfully embraced the whole online piece. And we also have a gentleman from um, Port Leash, Mark Healy, who's developed a food service business, developed a couple of food service businesses, sorry, in a regional town. And stitching that all together is... Um, some, I suppose, some helps, some thoughts, some whatever from James Burke, who is a retail and food service consultant, would have cut his teeth under the late um, Fergal Quinn in Super Quinn. And he also happens to be a native of Bantry as well. So oh. I think people are going to find some quite interesting stuff out of that. And I think there are going to be lessons learned, firstly. But secondly, it's about opening a conversation and I suppose maybe introducing people then to some of the other stuff that we hope to do afterwards in a little bit more detail. Yeah, as you say, this is just the first event to kick it off. Do people need to book? Do people need to pay to attend? Listen, we're opening this to anybody. We are asking people to book and that's just simple as this. We want to know how many people are turning up so that we can have a cup of coffee for people there anyway and it's on in the Maritime Hotel. It can be booked via our website which is www.localenterprise.ie backslash Cork North and West. We're happy to have anybody there and I think people will definitely get something out of it and I think people will equally see that there's a whole range of other supports, services that are available through the County Council and through its individual offices such as our own the local enterprise office. So I think it promises to be an interesting morning. There are also, I read yesterday, plans to roll out free Wi-Fi mm-hmm. in the town. What what benefit will that bring? Uh, I suppose it's certainly a topic that's alive and kicking in the country. Absolutely. Well in, in terms of connectivity. But the County Council has already rolled out um, on um, an initial basis free Wi-Fi in a number of areas, including in the square in Bantry. And quite a lot of people are making use of that. But to be honest, look, People just want to be connected today. Whatever way they connect, um, it's important to have it there. So it's there, it's happening, and um, we hope people will make more use of it. And I think it's hugely beneficial for tourists when, oh. when you come, because I think it's only when we go away ourselves that we realise you're constantly, oh, is, there any, is there any Wi-Fi, is there any Wi-Fi around? So I think for tourists, it's going to be a, a, a big plus. I think it is undoubtedly, and you're, you're absolutely correct in what you say about you know ourselves heading away someplace. Um, I think particularly if you have children, the first question is asked is like, "What's the Wi-Fi code? What's the Wi-Fi? <laughs> what's the, the Wi-Fi code?" So people get that, and 
you know what it is? I mean, we pride ourselves on being, you know, Ireland of the welcomes, if you want, and Cork of the welcomes in particular. I think having that as a little um, welcome in, in, in the area, I think it can only do good. And it's, mm. it's a bit of a feel-good factor as well, too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then the plan would be, Kevin, this, and we mentioned it's, it's, it's a pilot, mm. you, to roll out the programme to other towns, learn that's, from this and then roll it out. That's certainly where we're going, I suppose. You know, one step at a time in terms of, right, what exactly is going to work here? What exactly is needed here? I mean, look, we're going to be open-minded in that. We have a few ideas, but I think a lot of that is going to be determined by the actual needs in the town itself. Our plan after that, then, is to roll it on to some other towns. They haven't been picked or, 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 or decided on yet. I, look, I'm, 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 I'm sure we'll be getting calls and asked from, from people, but get it right here first, figure out what works, and, you know, then take it onwards and upwards. And I should say as well, one of the things that this has come from is Cork County Council looking at its county towns and saying, look, are there things maybe that we can do or do different or do better, maybe just to help revitalise, improve and grow the economies within those towns. And at the end of the day, and from the council's point of view, it's important that businesses succeed. I mean, they contribute rates to the council. At, at the end of the day, Patricia, I mean, ultimately, look, my salary, let's be personal about it, I mean, the ratepayers of Cork County are contributing towards that. It's very important that we have a vibrant economy. It's absolutely vital that we have vibrant economies within our towns because if they're not sustainable, if they're not happening, if they're not lively, um, things suffer elsewhere in terms of services that local authorities are or are not able to provide. Okay, and have you other events or programmes that are planned as part of this pilot scheme? Are you able to tell us any of those? Certainly, I, I, yeah, a couple of things that are going to that are going to move out. Of it. I, and you mentioned earlier in, in the interview, um, Patricia, the importance of online. And one of the um, programmes that we are going to be offering after it is, I suppose, exploring with people the whole area of online trading, including making some um, financial assistance available to businesses Correct. to get them trading online. It's not just enough today to have a kind of brochure type website. When somebody sees something, they want to be able to click and pay. And the beauty of that is that you can trade on a 24-7, 365 basis to the whole world from wherever you are, whether it's Bantry in West Cork or anywhere else for that matter. So rolling those out, looking at, I suppose, the whole digital area how you can actually be out there, how you can be active, how you can be noticed, how you can be differentiated, but most importantly, how you can make a few pounds out of it as well. Yeah, online, unfortunately, is, is the way forward. But then us as a consumer, we've got to remember those little shops that are there. I mean, because we all bemoan when they close, but if you don't go in and use them, we're going to lose a lot of them. No, you, you, you're, you're absolutely right. But look, there's always going to be a place for your traditional bricks and mortars. I heard it said recently, and I, I honestly can't recall who said it, but it was along the lines that Uncle Amazon can create a drone that cuts your hair. There's always going to be a, there's, a, there's always going to be a physical reason to come in to come into a you know to come into a, a, a shop. Yeah. So there, there's so much that can be done, and one of our experiences is that businesses that have embraced online, that have gone down that road, they have seen uplifts in their business but not to the exclusion of the diminution of their existing bricks and mortar um, business, but actually new business on, well, that's on top of that. Yeah. You know? So, it, so it, it, isn't, it isn't anything to fear for the businesses? I, I, I don't think so, because, um, you know, we're, we're maybe wary sometimes, and, and maybe, look, it's, it's a human nature thing, we're maybe wary a little of change mm. sometimes. But the news is, Patricia, the, the world has 
actually changed. Yeah. Our consumers have actually changed. The way consumers interact with businesses has actually changed. And I think as Bill Clinton said that the price of doing the same old thing is far higher than the price of change. So I think we have to embrace it and we have to realise it is there. And through the offerings that Cochrane Council and its various offices and agencies are providing, I think there is help there for people. And reach out the hand and ask for it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And I think, you know, one of your speakers that you mentioned is going to be talking, the um, uh, Jean McCabe from yeah. Willow. I mean, she's yeah. really showing how you can have your traditional store, but you can also compete with the biggies online. And, and she's doing it really, really successfully. And if she can do it, why can't others? That's exactly it. And I mean, look, based in a town in County Clare, she's running a fantastically successful traditional and modern business at the same time out of it and is award-winning is recognized that's why we were very anxious to have um the likes of gene here to talk about it because it's one thing for us to i suppose stand and preach and teach if you want it's something else entirely to hear it from somebody who's in the trade and who's gone on that journey and can talk about both the positives and also maybe some of the negatives yeah. in terms of maybe things that didn't quite go according to plan or whatever so i think people are going to People are going to enjoy that. That's going to resonate with people. And what we're hoping is that maybe a little bit of the magic dust, if you want, that Jean has been able to sprinkle on her business, that some of, some of that might um, might fall on a few people in Bantry. OK, so next Wednesday morning, 15th of May, it's a breakfast event. Yeah. Just details again of, of how people can sign up for it. If, if you go to our website, which is www.localenterprise.ie slash Cork North and West, or equally... If people want, the phone number for our office in Clannacilty is 023-88-34700. Okay, as you say, it's just more for numbers. Absolutely. Okay, and what time is somebody said, what time is it starting? What time will it be over? It is a breakfast event, so eight-ish, is it? We're, we're kicking off with registration at around half eight. We hope to be up and running for nine o'clock with a welcome from our county mayor, Councillor Patrick Gerard Murphy. And we hope to have everything wrapped by about 12.15, 12.30. OK. All right. So it's, it's, it'll, it'll fill most of the morning. All right. Listen, good luck with it, uh, Kevin. We'll keep a close eye on this uh, project. I think it's going to be hugely successful. And uh, we look forward to seeing it rolled out to other county towns as well. But in the meantime, thank you for joining us on the programme. No, Patricia, really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. Our pleasure. Thanks for that, Kevin. Bye-bye. Kevin Curran, Head of Enterprise with the Local Enterprise Office in West Cork. Go along, please, if you're in any kind of business in the Bantry area. Uh, I think it's going to have a real, real positive effect on what is a fantastic uh, town. Um, Heidi says, Patricia, the trouble with shopping locally can be prices. They're always higher than what you can pay online. Also, some... Uh, shops don't always keep up with the trends in fashion. Shops need to be more modern and not not so shambolic. Having worked in department stores when I was younger and all things were arranged in sizes and if it's blouses or dresses or any garment they're placed in areas easy to find. Also windows need to be dressed more modern to show what you have on uh, offer. Okay, uh, yeah, um, I don't know if I... Yeah, you will get some shops that just don't keep up keep up with the times, and you wonder sometimes how those shops manage to keep going. But they they still have they obviously still have their customers. But I don't know if you can say that all shops don't keep up with the trends. I mean, the one that Willow store. 
that the lady is going to be speaking at this breakfast event from uh, County Clare. Uh, she's somebody who's won the, what did she win, the National Store of the Year for 2019 Retail Excellence. And she, you know, she's based in, in a small town in County Clare. So, I mean, you can go to some towns and find some fantastic little boutiques where the staff more than helpful. I mean, that's one thing about shopping online versus going in and actually having somebody to help you and advise you. There's nothing like that. You're never going to get that uh, online. But, you know, if you look around, there's some small shops, small little boutiques. You may, absolutely, you may pay a little bit more for what you're actually getting and the quality of what of what you're getting uh, maybe it's one of the reasons that you're paying a little bit more and you will pay more if, you, if it's in a small town versus a big online store. But um, I don't think they're all, you know, in Ballygo backwards there. I don't think they're all, I think many of them have moved with the t- times because if they don't, uh, they're simply not going to uh, succeed. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Thanks to Eilish in Charleville, who was on to say the scam callers are out and about this morning. These are the ones claiming to be from Visa. So the guy contacted her this morning saying money has gone out for a bank account and, you know, the usual. And then they talk you into and persuade you to hand over all your details. And before you know it, the money is gone out of, of your uh, bank account. Uh, complete scam callers hang up on them immediately. Well done, uh, Eilish, for spotting that uh, it's a scam. Now, some people reacting to a listener who contacted us earlier who was absolutely shocked to put on the news this morning, got up early switched on the news, wanted to see the 7 o'clock news this morning Mary and uh, there was a piece on the news, on the television news about the farmers protest and meeting that was on in Dublin uh, yesterday about the price of beef and Mary was appalled to see that some of the farmers shouldered a real coffin with beef printed on its side she thought it was terrible she sent a shiver down her spine and uh, she said just as though it was completely disrespectful she accepts the farmers might want to make a point but she said there's other ways of doing it please don't be using a real uh, coffin and then I was saying was it a real coffin or was it just a box to look like a coffin but no some people have confirmed they saw it as well and uh, it was a real coffin Jonah McCroom says I was horrified to see a real coffin brought into that meeting last night it was awful she said to bring an actual coffin what what and Joan says what can the Minister for Agriculture or indeed anybody else do about the beef prices. There's a lot of other factors outside of Ireland's control. It doesn't all rest with the Minister for Agriculture. Well I suppose they want more, the beef farmers want more subsidies from the Minister for Agriculture. I suppose they accept that he can't set the price of the beef but if they're not getting enough for their beef then he wants they would want him to give them extra money by way of the cheque in the post kind of thing. I'm assuming that's where they're coming from. Someone else says in the farmers and the beef plan group want to make changes. They must block the creamery gates, the factory gates, uh, etc. and supply no produce until they get the price. It's all talk about the beef plan group, but no action has been taken. I don't know if that's somebody who's in the industry or has some connection with the beef industry, but feeling farmers need to go do more of a protest than just carrying in a coffin. But yes, a number of people not liking the idea of seeing a real coffin by way of a protest. On candidates and candidates calling... This is by WhatsApp. Patricia, what annoys me is a candidate calling and they're accompanied by one of my local neighbours. 
then they ask me, have I any problems? Is there anything that I would like the would-be councillor, would-be politician? Is there anything they would like me to sort out for them? As if I'm going to tell them with my nosy neighbour standing beside them. Does that get to other people? I had never thought about that. And they do that in a lot of neighbourhoods if they have somebody who is a canvasser and who is supporting a particular candidate, they will, that person then will bring the candidate around and introduce them to all the neighbours, you know, and it's saying, hi, you know, I'm your neighbour from down the road. This is, you know, candidate X running for such and such a party. And uh, that's been a tradition that's gone on for many years. But I never thought about that. If there was something that you were genuinely having an issue with, would it stop you saying what the issue is? because one of your neighbours is standing at your front door with the candidate. 1850-333-103. Also on this issue on candidates, uh, Paddy in uh, Mallow says, I welcome the leaflets coming through, through the door and I'll give you an example why. I got one yesterday and it was from one particular candidate that I didn't even know was running. I was, I'm very impressed with this candidate. If people don't want them, you simply put them in the bin. So they do have a role in letting people know exactly who is running. Now, that's interesting because haven't we been talking about posters and the erection of political posters? And one of the arguments that's put forward by the candidates as to why they need to use posters, it's to get their name and their face out there. And here we have Paddy and Mallow with just two weeks to go. So we're halfway through... For the last two weeks, the posters have been up. So we're halfway through the campaign and Paddy dis- discovers a candidate that he didn't he didn't even know was running. Now, I don't have the details of what candidate it is. And in the Mallow area, there is seven candidates running for five seats. And I'm wondering, of all seven, have they all put posters up? Because if they have, it means our Paddy hasn't spotted this particular person's poster because uh, Paddy didn't realise that the candidate was uh, running. So there could be an argument that the posters are not actually working at all. They certainly haven't worked for uh, Paddy. I mentioned Bally Desmond earlier because this was Maura who contacted us. She's from Bally Desmond and she was making the point that they've had no politicians calling and could it be because the county council in, in for Bally Desmond, it's Kerry County Council have granted planning permission to erect the storage facilities for these massive power uh, battery storages for the wind turbines, 40 of them in total. People very, very nervous in the Bally Desmond area about it. Donna says, Patricia, the people of Bally Desmond were completely left to fight on their own by the local politicians who were made to obey party policy. They put the people who voted for them second ahead of their party. Another convenient cop-out was saying how the wind turbines and the battery storage compound is actually in Kerry County Council. and Therefore, it's a Kerry County Council issue as it is just over the border. That may well be. But none of them submitted objections. And then they have the brazenness to call to Bally Desmond looking for votes. I will run them from my door and everybody else should do the same with their respective politicians, whether in Cork or Kerry, says Donald, who I take it from that text is from Bally Desmond and I've checked in with John Paul. We just didn't get a chance to do it today. We are going to speak with one of the people who raised an objection 
even though Cork County Council have granted planning have granted planning permission now I take it it will now go to on board Planola etc but we'll speak with a resident of Ballydesmond because I really want to dig down into their con- their concerns I mean it was just issue while the news was on I just did a quick search as to what these big battery storage things are I mean they 40 of them in total the danger seems to be if one of them goes on fire and I think what kind of gave me a jolt was wasn't it more in the original text was making the point that if God forbid one of these batteries go on fire then the people of the village will have I think it's up to 10 minutes to evacuate get out as quickly as possible before the toxic fumes are all over the village and the surrounding areas and she likened it to no it's not nuclear power but she did say um, we all saw what happened in uh, in Chernobyl you won't have far to go in the future to see if something similar now it isn't nuclear I mean wind power isn't but it is it certainly is toxic and, and could do damage if it went on fire I mean you just would hope and pray that technology has moved on so so much that it wouldn't go on fire but you can never allow for an accident happening and that I suppose is the danger for people who are living in the area if this facility goes ahead people will live with that what if you know it's the what if something goes wrong I mean the people who lived near the Chernobyl plant which again was in the Ukraine it wasn't even in Belarus and was Belarus was the area that was most uh, affected. They were always of the belief that nothing could go wrong. They had the best nuclear scientists working there, you know, the cream, the the the, the top of the pile. So there was never going to be anything could go wrong. And then we know if something did go wrong, something went uh, badly wrong. And by the way, because I know some people sent in a text saying, I was, did I watch the programme? The, it's the first of, I think it's, a, is it a six part series just called Chernobyl? And it's a it's a drama outlining uh, what happened at Chernobyl on, the, on that night and it opened up with the first night with the actual accident and the fire and then the sense of disbelief by the nuclear scientists and already you can see the cover up and don't tell the people, don't tell the people and of course the downside of that was that the people in the town living closest to the plant were all out and about while the nuclear activity was in was in the air it's shocking shocking it'll it's but it's a good series yes i've seen i've seen the first one um and i watched it having just come back from Belarus are watching it. I watched it with a very, very uh, heavy heart. Anyway, sorry I digress slightly. The Valley Desmond issue, we're going to get to it and we will talk about it on Monday on the programme for people in the Valley Desmond are uh, surrounding uh, areas. Uh, 1850-333-103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text to WhatsApp 0862-103-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. The Gagan Community Hall Field Committee. They're holding a fundraising table quiz. It'll be in the Ash Tree Bar in Old Chapel in Bandon. That's tonight at half past eight. All are welcome. Clyde Rovers GAA Lotter Draw that's going to be held in the Hill Bar in Bottle Hill. They've got a jackpot of €8,150. Tickets available from Jerry O'Donoghue. Bingo is in Kildallery Parish Hall tonight, 8.30. All are welcome. And Kale Kill National School's 20k drop for their Field of Dreams Astral Turf facility will be held in the West Lodger Town tonight at 8 o'clock. Castletown Bear Development Association, they're hosting a public open meeting in the Bearer Coast Hotel tomorrow night, Saturday at 8. It's, oh, it's an open meeting. 
to discuss Castletown Bear going forward into the future. While the North Cork Multiple Cirrhosis Group will have a church gate collection at all masses this weekend in Newmarket and in Tower. A Mill Street Vintage Club, they're hosting a vintage and modern tractor run on Sunday. It's a native column pipe band. You register at Colin GAA grounds from 11 with the rollout at 12 noon and they hope to finish then in uh, Mill Street. And an afternoon tea dance will be held in Kilmac Simon Community Centre next Sunday between 3 and 6. Music by Dermot Lines and all are very welcome. Job interview fails. Uh, so, do you work well with people? Mm, yeah, but to be honest, no, I can't stand bossy people, you know? Blah, blah, blah. Do your work, come in on time, stop sleeping in the toilets, do you know? Right. Where do you see yourself in five years? Well, if I don't break my parole, hopefully still working here. <laughs> I'll head off, will I? Think you actually have the right answers? Then C103 wants to talk to you. We're hiring a sales executive to expand our busy team. If you're ambitious, creative, and think you've got what it takes, email your CV to Manager at c103.ie today. C103 is an equal opportunities employer and part of Wireless Group. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And James in Brewery, this is on the farmers and their protest with the coffin yesterday. James in, in Brewery, agreeing with a couple of other listeners making the same point that it's the Europeans the farmers should be going after, not the Irish government. When they say the Europeans, the, uh, the EU, I'm assuming is what James, me- James means. Uh, Michael Creed, as Minister for Agriculture, can only do so much. It is Europe is where they should be venting their anger. Uh, New Zealand farmers don't get half the subsidies compared to Irish farmers. And with the EU, with the UK leaving, eventually, will they? Brexit and all that, there will be less money in the EU for farmers. So they're going to, they'll have a bigger fight on their hands uh, going forward. That's from James in Brewery. Uh, thank you for that, James. And to just to let you know, I've seen a couple more texts in from people wondering the Fromoy Drama Group, are they still looking for the wicker chair? You know, the high back that we spoke about, been talking about it all week because they're putting on a production of the wonderful South Pacific and they're putting it on in November and I'm assuming it's the prop mistress has been on to me looking for two high back wicker chairs. We got one during the week but they needed a second one. They need two of them on uh, stage. And somebody else has said this morning, did, did they get sorted? Because I think I might have one that would suit. Hold off now on your offers because we've sent on a three or four that we think are the actual chair that they're looking for. I don't want to flood from my drama group with a load of wicker chairs. But thank you. People have been really, really good and very kind. And I, I really thought it was a needle in a haystack when we got in the original photograph of it because I was thinking I haven't seen one of those wicker chairs in years. I remember an aunt of mine used to have one and there was she used to pin teddy bears onto it. (laughs) The whole wicker chair was full of of teddy bears but I haven't seen one in years but it looks like there's still a good few of them out. Uh, So well done and thank you to people who have been very kind and were in straight away trying to help out the Formoy um, court it was at the Choral Society or the Drama Group in from why, but we will let you know if we need you to get back to us with offers as of now it looks like they're going to be okay. Now 
a couple of people reacting to the piece about canvassers. This was the listener who contacted us to say that what they don't like about canvassing is and canvassing calling to the door is when a neighbour will be showing the candidate around the neighbourhood and then the person who's running will say is there anything I can help you about? You know, if I get elected or maybe they're already, they already are a politician, you know, a, a TD or already a councillor, is there anything I can help you with? And this person was making the point, I'm hardly going to open my mouth and start telling them what my problem is with my nosy neighbour was the phrase that was used standing there. Micah says, Patricia, how are you? I've been canvassing for a long time now in various elections. To address that lady's concern of the nosy neighbour, if somebody wants to discuss something in private with the candidate, the local person will always leave them chat in private, in my experience, says Michael, who's been doing this for a good number of years with various different candidates. And that's always the way it happens. The person will just move and if you have a concern, then you can uh, talk to them. Also in on that, this is in Kilworth. This is Margaret. In the Kilworth area, the local person will always stand at the gate of the person when the candidate is visiting. And that way you don't hear any of the conversation and that is quite commonplace. And hi Patricia, re-election posters. I live on the western side of Whitechurch. We have posters from a lot of candidates, some are from Mallow and some are from Cove. Well that's the, that's, you're in probably one of those areas where you they, there's been the reconfiguring of the, we know what's happened. They have changed the electoral areas. There's go, I can foresee in two weeks' time, people ringing us saying, I went in to vote and I didn't know any of the names. That's why I think of all elections, people do need to be reading the literature that's coming in the doors because we know the boundary areas have changed and people who you would normally be able to vote for before, their names are not going to be on the ballot paper. You're going to be looking for a name to say, where did they go? They're still there but they're in a different electoral area. So I do think when people are saying that when these flyers come through the door, they're junk and they're a waste. I think for this election more than ever, we all need to do a little bit of work just to brush up on who's running, who's not running and who's going to best represent you for the next five years in the local election. And don't get me going on the Europeans because I was talking to John Paul about this. I think, is there 19 candidates running in Ireland South? I mean, this huge long page when you go in, I definitely say make sure you have your mind well made up before you go into the ballot box and you could be there all day along. On scam calls, uh, Breeden Mallis says, yeah, got one of those scam calls that one of the other listeners was talking about this morning. Patricia saying my visa card and all of that and money's been taken out. I just replied, oh my, it's a beautiful morning. He hung up as they knew we were onto them. Says Breeden Yeah, they don't want to. I know one of the things that really annoys those scam artists is people who hold them up on the phone line for ages and ages and ages, letting on that you're getting sucked in by it and then, you know, going na 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 at the end. I know it's a scam because you've wasted to their time they could be working on some other poor vulnerable uh, deer so if you have time to waste feel free to do that but uh, well done uh, Breda and uh, Mossy in West Cork afternoon to you Mossy says hi Patricia it's a beautiful day it is and the weather forecast for the next week is supposed to be super thank goodness however the statistics will show 
that there are those that will take their lives during fine weather. I don't know, is there other statistics that they go up during a fine, this, that it increases during a fine? But anyway, this is Mossy talking about the darkness into light event that's happening uh, tomorrow night. The solutions are, well, it's tonight into tomorrow, isn't it? It's, I always get very confused with that. I To me, that would be tonight, but actually on the date it is tomorrow. The solutions are to prevent the solutions are to prevent this is to create awareness of ways to get the message out there that it is okay to talk and it is also okay if you don't want to talk but if you're the type of person who doesn't want to talk then please get treatment there's various treatment options available you can go down the medication route there are alternative treatments like acupuncture homeopathy etc sometimes people just don't want to talk only the bare minimum and people have to respect that as well Mossy said can I wish the best of luck to everybody involved in Darkness Into Light the organisers and all of the participants and it is the biggest fundraising event on behalf of Pieta House and of course Pieta House available on 1-800-247-247 uh, 1-800-247-247 I suppose showing that they're available 20, 24 hours a day uh, 7 days a week um, Peter House a wonderful wonderful organisation so yes uh, glad to mention that Marcy and once again to wish the best of luck to everybody taking part with a reminder if you're taking part in the walk for Bantry Darkness Into Light then the organisers are asking you to arrive at least by four o'clock. It's in the 4.15 the walks all start. They're expecting a very large crowd in Bantry which is terrific news and there's parking available at Roa Pharmaceuticals, Casey's Tyre Centre, Little and Limited Spaces at Bantry Blues, Pitch Wolf Tone Park where the darkness into walk is starting and there is still still time for you to register. You can go online uh, into Pieta House and their darkness into walk. The are huge number of walks taking place tomorrow when people will head out in the dark and they will walk into the light. There are walks in Cork going on in Ballancolic, Ballyvalan, Ballyvorney, Bandon, Bantry, Blarney, Carrigaline, Castletown Bear, Clonakilty, Cove, Dunmanway, Fermoy, Glenmire, Inchigila, Canturk, Kinsale, Mallow, Middleton, Mitchellstown, Skull, Skibbereen, UCC in Cork and also in Yall. We wish the best of luck to everybody taking part and uh, hope it's very enjoyable for you uh, as well. And it can be a very emotional time because I remember a friend of mine walking in one of the first ever darkness into light walks and she ended up just stepping in with a woman who she'd never met and they got to chat and she, she said she did the whole walk in silence while this woman spoke about having lost her son through suicide and she just you know felt on an occasion like that it was something she wasn't there she, she admitted this woman admitted that she didn't talk about it a lot but she just felt comfortable in the presence of my friend and the anonymity of it all and she spoke for the entire walk and at the end of the walk she gave my friend a hug and she went away and my friend never saw her uh, again but my friend was so moved and so touched uh, by it that she for uh, she's now since my friend has since left the area but for many years afterwards she did the walk look, looking to see could she see that woman again but she didn't but she felt she'd done her bit she'd raised a bit of money for Pieta House but she felt just being a listening ear and sometimes that is all you need so be aware of that if you are doing one of the darkness into light walks most of us will do it because we want to fundraise and we want to raise some money for Pieta House but there will be a number of people who are doing it 
in memory of a loved one because they've lost a loved one and unfortunately Peter House wasn't available to them at the time so do be aware of uh, that. We spoke about young drivers yesterday and the donuts and doing the donuts on the road and careless uh, driving. Well, Anne contacted us uh, to say that it is not all young people doing this. It's just a few, uh, but it's always the few that will give the rest a bad name. She believes that a designated area that somebody suggested yesterday would be great for young people because they would be able to show off their cars. Many young people are not drinking or smoking. Why? Because they put all their money into the cars that they've purchased, showing off all the fancy bits and pieces which can and are very expensive. You were right yesterday, Patricia, when you mentioned Donegal. There is an area in Donegal. They even run a competition called King of the Cone, where the young people have to pay, the young drivers have to pay to take part. Many young people respect their cars and won't do this very stupid manoeuvre of doing donuts because they're afraid that they would damage their car or damage the wheels on their car. Um, Anne was at the Rally of the Lakes recently and she said to see the fancy cars there, it would be great if they added a section to the Rally of the Lakes for the young people to show off their expensive flashy cars and many of them go there for that reason. They drive down their much loved car to the Rally of the Lakes so maybe they could have some event so that people could put their cars on display. 1850-333-103 and just one very final text in on election posters. Pat from Bottevant said, no, I, I don't know how were you walking or driving when you did this, Pat? Pat says, Patricia on election posters, there are 96 posters in a one and a half kilometre stretch from the roundabout in Mallow heading towards Cork. It's absolutely ridiculous. There should be a complete and utter ban on these posters. IRD Duhallow's Youth and Education Working Group are encouraging people to take part in an online survey aimed at young adults in the Duhallow, Schlievlokra and Lee Valley area. Joining me with details is Connor Judge, who is the Development Officer with IRD Duhallow. Good afternoon to you, Connor. Hi Patricia, good to uh, speak to you. you are, and good to speak to you as well. Okay, talk to me about firstly the age group. What age group are you looking for to participate in this? So the idea of the survey is looking at young adults and so we're splitting that somewhat between 18 to 25 year olds and then 25 to 35. Um, so depending on how you, what age gra- bracket you fall into, you'll be streamed either for students, for apprenticeships or if you're working. And so that we are trying to get a broad view of the two different age groups in that cohort. Yeah, we'd assume the 18 to 25s will be the students and the, the, uh, those doing apprenticeships. Yeah, well, like not, not necessarily, but there is, there is a, it, it's not done based on age, but there is a, it's, it, it breaks it down a little bit more than just a broad 18 to 35. Cohort. Okay. And what topics are covered in the survey? Um, so like the survey is it's quite extensive, about 10 to 15 minutes, um, so it takes a bit of time to do. But we cover like, nearly everything that affects life uh, for 18 and 35-year-olds. So this is you know, living arrangements, um, housing costs, um, students, whether they come home on the weekend, housing availability, where they live, why they want to live there. And then at the end, we also have bits about car insurance, broadband, social context, um, involvement in local clubs. So we're getting a broad idea of, 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 of the entire life, I suppose, of 18 and 35-year-olds. And responses anonymous? Yeah, completely anonymous, yeah. And h- how long will the survey, is the survey open for? 
So it depends on, um, I suppose, how many we get um, okay. responding to the survey. But we're thinking over the next month and month and a half um, between, I suppose, um, people coming home for the summer and going yeah. away. That's a, a sort of a, a time period there we try where you try and catch them. And what will you do with the information gathered from this survey, Connor? So a lot of this um, information will form part of our youth planning going forward, um, not just with us, but with other agencies. Um, and it'll be, I suppose, it'll add um, a sort of qualitative aspect to um, to the information that we have from national bodies, from the CSO, from the census. And so we get a good idea of like why people want to settle in this area and, um, and what's, what are the major issues in their lives. Yeah, I'd, I'd be really interested in the results of the survey. I'm, I'm assuming housing is going to come out as, as a big issue, Connor. Yeah, we think so. So like some of the questions we have in there are, you know, whether you want to buy an existing structure or whether you want to build on a greenfield site. And we know that's an issue for some people. And then around planning permissions and also where they want to live. Is it because they want to be close to family? Is it because they, they've scenic beauty? Or is it they want to live in urban areas? Is it lifestyle preferences? So it's really centred around the why of it, if you understand me. Yeah, yeah. And jobs, availability of jobs yeah, in the so, area. So similar there is, is it's asking, you know, is it, we've got quite a detailed section on the type of job you do. And um, also looking at part-time work, uh, working from home, um, I suppose, what are your ideal working hours? And um, if, if it was a possibility that your job was available, would that make a difference in the area? Would that make a difference to whether you settle there or not? Because we know there's a lot of people moving to Dublin and to Cork and to Galway um, due to uh, the availability of jobs following on from, from I suppose, education. And um, I think it's important to, to try and work out, you know, does this have a, a long-term effect for when they settle down in their early 30s or, 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 or later. Okay, and have, has a young adult survey like this ever been conducted before? Um, we we did do one a number of years ago, it was back in the 90s or the early 2000s, and, and I suppose one of the big findings of that survey was we we asked, um, you know, if, if the job you like was available in the area, would young people like to settle in rural areas? And a lot of them said yes, which sort of changed the way people thought about rural areas and young people, because it is something that people want to do. Mm. It's just looking at, is it possible, and what are the reasons behind that? And I suppose this survey is a little more in-depth than what you'd get um, at a national level because it's not just, you know, what age they are and and where they live and how much they earn. It's it's more asking them to to give their reasons as to why they want to settle somewhere or why they, why they pursue the job they do. It's a little more in-depth in that regard. So it is a bit different to other surveys um, going on. And... Are you you asking the people taking part? Are they people who are currently living in the area, or are you? I'm 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 thinking of people. We get a lot of people listening to this program overseas, uh, who from the area, but are now living in Australia, in America, in England. Uh, but they they they're from the Duhallow, Steve Luke, Lee Valley area. Do you want them to take part? Like I think um, in that would be it'd be good, um, because one of the first questions we ask is where did you grow up. And where did you? Where do you live now? Yeah. And I suppose from that we can work out. You know, we can get a different sample there, and we can work out if there are people living elsewhere. Um, why are they living elsewhere? Some of the questions obviously won't won't be applicable in that regard uh, to those to, the, to those people. Um, but it would be good to get a broad 
spectrum of, of, of responses, even if they aren't living in the area. Yeah, currently, because I'm, I'm thinking of those who have gone overseas, but always have it in the back of the head, I'm going home one day. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, because it, it, that's the issue with doing surveys in a, in a small area is that we can't obviously reach um, overseas listeners or people who've moved away and it's difficult. But we have a, 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 a question in there that will split it out and allow us to look at those responses um, in a different way. Uh, OK, and you're looking for employers to encourage their staff to take part? Yeah, so we, we sent out an email earlier this week um, to employers in the region and we're just asking them, because of the importance for data like this for programmes, um, for planning, for services going forward, we're just asking them to take, you know, 15, 20 minutes, sit down over a cup of tea and, and have a go at the survey because it'll it'll inform a lot of, of um, I suppose, uh, development in the future. And also with parents too, we're asking parents if they hear us or if they hear of the survey, um, to just maybe mention it to their children um, or their college-aged um, young adults um, just because they may be away at the minute or they may be doing exams and we're just hoping to try and get as much as we can and that way we get a much more clear idea of the area. Okay, and it takes about 15 to 20 minutes, it's not... Yeah, it, it depends on, on, I suppose, what what stream you fall into. Like, it's longer if you, if you, you know, if you have applied for planning permission or you've done childcare... But um, it is shorter otherwise. Um, so about that, but that's an upper end estimate. OK, we will look forward to the results of this uh, survey, Connor. You might come back and have a chat with us about the results. Yeah, I'd be delighted. Uh, that would be great. All right, and I'm told that it's up on our Facebook and Twitter feeds as well, a link to the uh, survey. Good luck with it, uh, Connor, and thanks for joining us. Perfect. Thanks very much. Uh, good, good, good afternoon to you. That is Connor Judge, who is Development Officer with IRD Duhalla. Please, if you are a young person, uh, it's between young adult, uh, 18 to 35. Uh, please get involved uh, with that survey because it's good for planning going forward. Somebody mentioned earlier, and I think it was on our news service, our, our, on our news bulletins, it may still be on our news bulletins, about the My Taxi app which are charging a cancellation fee of five euro. I don't know how many people uh, picked up on this. They announced it yesterday. It's my taxi. And they say that a user who cancels the journey within two minutes of a driver accepting the fare or who's not at the pick-up point, they give you five minutes to be at the pick-up point, but if you're not at the pick-up point in the designated uh, time, then the taxi will drive off and you will be charged a five euro cancellation fee and of course most of these apps you've signed up with your credit card so the money goes straight out of your credit card and I was thinking about this yesterday and saying okay fair is fair it must be very very annoying if for taxis who are trying to make their money particularly you know, on a, even though I, I don't think on a Saturday, Friday or Saturday night with the huge demand on taxis that people wouldn't be showing up for their taxis but it must be just from a business point of view it's tough it can be hard for taxi drivers to make a living and if they go to a place and then the person isn't there or they cancel at the last minute it just must be frustrating. I was kind of thinking yeah okay I can see and maybe accept why you would be charge this cancellation fee but then I was thinking what about the flip side of that? What if a taxi for whatever reason doesn't turn up for you 
when you book a taxi. Should that this not work two, two ways? Lo and behold, I read in the papers today that Dermot Jewell, the chief executive of the Consumers Association, is saying the very same thing. He says the policy should be a two-way street. He said, I can understand the logic of the cancellation fee, but it needs to apply both ways. He says there needs to be a reciprocal arrangement. And he says the example that he gives is a passenger may be left waiting in vain beyond the five minute window if the driver goes to the wrong address. There are circumstances where the new policy will give rise to arguments and disputes. However, in a statement, the company said that the new policy, which goes into effect at the end of the month, is intended to improve customer service. They say to reduce the number of passenger cancellations on the My Taxi app and to boost fleet efficiency to meet surging demand, particularly at peak times. That's why they're introducing this, a €5 passenger cancellation fee, and it will come in late in June. They say the fee is in line with industry practice in Ireland and internationally. I didn't know that. And it's already applied by a number of their competitors in this country. If If... It is a charge they never wanted our passengers to incur and is intended to change behaviour when the fleet is most under pressure and to boost the reliability of the service when the customers most need it. So if you have the My Taxi app, which is a fabulous app, I don't have it myself, but I was in the city a little while ago and we needed to get a taxi and we couldn't get a taxi and a friend of ours had the My Taxi app and we, you know, Within minutes, uh, a taxi was there waiting for us. So it is a very, very good service. But we, but, but B, if you have it, it is a fantastic service. Don't abuse it because if you do abuse it, you're going to end up with a cancellation fee every time of five euro. And Nick Richards is turning up the feel good in the uh, on his show at one o'clock with some of these tunes. Feel Good Friday with our own Nick Richards from uh, one o'clock today. Enjoy. That's where I leave you for today and for this week. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick, as I mentioned, is with you for the afternoon and we'll be back with you on Monday morning at 10. So then I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Rod Stewart is ready to rock Cork on May 25th. And C103 is celebrating with a massive cash giveaway. Win €3,000 with the Rod Stewart 3K Triple Play. Stay listening for these three songs. Song 1. Song 2. Song 3 When we play them uninterrupted and in that order be caller 103 to win 3,000 euro Remember our number 1850-333-103 The Rod Stewart 3K Triple Play Only on C103 Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.